Well, I saw an instapundit, a post from our uh, friend Sarah Hoyt, yeah. uh, who always tends to go a little bit further into the weeds than than because uh, she does the night shift, right? That's the great thing about the night shift. You get to talk about all kinds of – like, ever listen to overnight radio? It's really the oh, most interesting creepy, stuff yeah. there is. <laughs> so she did a post with a, with a graphic warning, and it needs to be there. And I don't want to talk about the post. I want to talk about what I learned. But basically, the post she listed was a, a post showing some of the images that people associated with Balenciaga – had been a party to some of the pornographic images of children. And when I say pornographic images of children, let me just say that we are talking about a level of, of invention that defies imagination. We're not just talking about pictures of kids. We're talking about, I I can't, I don't want to tell you what we're talking about, but it's, 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 it's absolutely at first sight, immediately repulsive to anybody with a soul. Um, but what what got me interested, uh, I wanted to talk about this, is not so much the Balenciaga thing, because I think that's just a smaller symptom. At the bottom of this article was a um, was a uh, documentary done by the BBC in 1999. And it was, uh, the, the thing they linked to was, I think, part two of six or something, but it was about shock art. It was about, it was about how art went from something to inspire people to something that was designed to shock people. And while the format was almost like the kind of thing you want to mock, British guy walking through a museum talking, you know, it's like, with that said, the, the, it's, it's a profoundly good look at art from a guy who knows his art. But he started talking uh, with Goya and how, especially in his last years, Goya was losing his mind. He made a bunch of paintings for himself in the studio, which were eventually put on display. And they are signs of schizophrenic horror, horror. And and that trend started with him. And and it continued on. And he talked about a couple of, of World War II and post-war cases. And and even um uh what's it? <laughs> Sometimes I just lose my Andy, the the Warhol. pop artist Warhol. Andy. Thank you, geez, I don't know how could I how could I have forgotten that. Even Andy Warhol was trying to do shocking things, but he wasn't doing disgusting things. He wasn't doing repulsive things. Yeah. And this video documentary shows the history of how this avant garde f- art forms have become more and more and more and more and more repulsive, more and more and more shocking. So that's what I actually want to talk about. I want to talk about the fact that that there the elites, the people that that patronize these things. These these kind of shows are not seen by it's not something you take your family to on a Sunday, right? The the people that go to these exhibits and these cafes where they have like decaying, you know, skulls of, of 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 a horse in a glass case you know that kind of thing those kind of people are are the problem they, they they're the kind of people that make up most of our uh, international elite they are i know these people i've been in a room with them before i've been to their houses occasionally once or twice and there is a force field around some of these houses in the hollywood hills that is like we are inside and everything out there is cattle. And I, and I got that sense just really, really clearly. But the point I'm trying to make here is when you think about 
what is it? What what powers Antifa? What powers this whole, you know, trans movement? What powers, uh, you know, these blue haired teachers talking about how you're going to take over your kids and we're going to do this? What what powers all of it, right? And I think ultimately, when you come right down to it, the the, the single if I had to come up with a word, I would say the word that powers the the this vile degeneracy of our of our of our brightest people of our elites is they're bored. I really I really think that's it. They're bored jaded. Jaded's probably a better word. Yeah. Right? They get to see everything. They go to art shows all the time because they have whatever means they have at their disposal and they live in New York and skyscrapers. They take a limousine. There's all these art galleries. And they see so much of this stuff and they have so many talks at cocktail parties about this stuff. That comes a point where there's nothing new to talk about except for how far can somebody go out of their way to grab your attention through degeneracy because they're sure not doing it through talent. In fact, the entire idea of art as something beautiful is very passe now. You know, if you did a painting been. that was just beautiful, the art, the modern art community would would mock you to the rafters. They'd say, "Well, you're <laughs> you're making that for regular people." You know, we are not interested in things that are beautiful. We want to see how ugly you can make something. Now, art wasn't always that way, but it's been that way for a century. And and I find that kind of infection in all of the philosophy of these people. When I look at, at some of the things that, that the Twitter execs do or, 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 or some of the things that Zuckerberg says, it is a profound disgust of regular people. It's, it's not just contempt. It's open hatred for them. And, and this, this Balenciaga thing is just, is just the tip of an iceberg of horrific degeneracy that, that, is, not, that is contained only in the, in the elite class, right? It is contained only by the progressives in New York City and San Francisco, Los Angeles. They're the only people that go to see this stuff. It's not open, you know, it's, a, it's not something the public goes to. And, and they continue to see how far they can go to make something as ugly, as repulsive, and as shocking as possible. And these are the people that have got their hands on a lot of the levels of levers of power in this country. And so when we look at them and we say, well, what, what, what could possibly motivate them to do this? You have no idea how depraved these people really are. I, uh, Not everybody, but I, most of them. I got an idea when I saw some of this art, particularly the, the, the stuff involving babies the mutations. and blood, yeah, yeah. and I uh, won't even try to describe to people what I saw. Um, but I read a lot of Ayn Rand in my teens and 20s, and some of it has stuck with me, particularly her definition of art. She defined art as the selective recreation of reality according to the artist's metaphysical value judgments, which is a lot of big words, but let me break that down. It, it has to be a selective recreation of reality because whether you're using uh, uh, paint or sculpture, whatever it is, you can't include literally everything. You're going to have to pick and choose. And the example she gave of what that means, of uh, according to the artist's metaphysical value judgments, was, was this, and I always remember this. If a, a woman is having her portrait done and she's all dressed up, her makeup is perfect, her hair is perfect, and uh, just before she's supposed to sit down with the painter, a cold sore breaks out. 
these things happen. When I was a kid at, in high school during speech contests, the only time I would have a big zit breakout was right before a speech contest yeah, yeah, when yeah, I'm yeah. in front of all relate, those people, brother. right? These these things happen. They're they're temporary. They're passing. You get over it. But an artist who sees beauty in the world and in people would leave out the cold sore because that's the transient thing. The permanence is is the beauty. So you just you ignore it. You don't paint that. An artist who would choose to leave in the cold sore is taunting the very concept of beauty, saying you might be beautiful, you might have done everything you could to become beautiful and to present yourself that way, but look, you've got that nasty cold sore and we're just gonna show that to everybody forever and ever. Well, what does it say about these artists today, Bill, when they literally show nothing but cold sores, so many so that you just, you can't even see the humanity underneath anymore? See, see that's the point. That's a great example because a modern artist would say, "Oh no, we're gonna. We're not only gonna leave the cold sore in. We're gonna just just concentrate on the cold sore. Yeah. Because that's the human condition. Because while you think you're sitting there beautiful, the fact is that everything rots and everything decays, and there's viruses everywhere. And and that's the human condition. The cold sore is the point for these people, right? Yep. That's the point. Look how awful life is. Look how unbearable it is. How how how." Uh, cruel and senseless and pointless. Of course, we're going to concentrate on the cold sore. And they don't even see the obvious right in front of their nose statement, which is the cold sore is transitory. The beauty is permanent, right? Even a, be a, a beautiful person will age beautifully. Not, I'm not talking about physical beauty. I mean, people who have, have yes. inner, inner beauty, they'll yes. age beautifully. Helen Mirren, great example, right? Mm. So so they'll concentrate on, on the on the temporal, on the vile, on the um, on the diseased, all of that, because to them that is what reality is. And Scott, you, you, I'd love to hear your take on this because one of the things that these that all of these artists who, especially in the fifties and sixties, that they got on camera quoting, right? It's all about taking the stupid public and rubbing their 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 idiotic tribal God believing noses in the actual fecal matter that is life that's their mission is to, is to take is to take these stupid unaware uh regular people and rub their noses in the fact that life is nothing but putrefaction and excrement i think there may even be more to it than that um and and that oh. goes deeper um you know when you started talking about this and and by the way I ignore headlines that seem to offer that they're going to show something like this. Like if there's even a hint in the headline that says that I'm going to be shocked or disgusted or whatever, I'm like, okay, that's not for me. Thanks for the warning. I appreciate it. Um, and I move on. But at its heart, art, whether that be uh, visual art in painting or sculpture or music or movies, um, art should make you feel something. And I think what happens with this more kind of so-called modern art is they, uh, they are themselves deadened in their nerves. Jade is a perfect term for it. They can't feel anything. And so yep. in this longing to feel something that's real, they have to go beyond the normal scope of human experience, desperately searching for something that will tingle the nerve endings or stir the heart or at least, uh, you know, oh. cause you to choke like you're going to vomit. And they've got to they've do something that makes them feel. And I'm not so sure they just want to disgust the audience. 
sense. I think that it it springs from a deep well of self-loathing, of a realization, you know, for Absolutely. example, the composer who comes up with a dissonant symphony, uh, an arrhythmic dissonant symphony. He probably has gone to school for many years and learned from the great masters and realized what a puny flea of a being he is on the, on the behind of classical music or of great music. And he said, well, you know, I can't compete with that, but what I can do is something nobody has done. I can make a piece of music so horrifying that people will rush to the lobby and that will be the advertisement for it. You know, can you sit through this symphony? <laughs> you know, that kind of idea. And I thought it's kind of like they're staging a carnival freak show, but it's not. I did a bit of reading earlier this year about uh, P.T. Barnum and there was always in P.T. Barnum's so-called freak shows or sideshow kind of circus kind of things, there was always kind of a wink and a nudge to the audience. Like the audience actually reveled in the fact that they were probably being deceived. <laughs> they knew going into it, you know, when when he said, we have the mermaid and they saw the monkey corpse sewed to the fish corpse <laughs> yeah. and, and they said, yeah. oh, well, this is a mermaid. They're like, oh, I can't really see the seam between the monkey and the fish. It's, is it possible that this is real? But they know deep down that when they gave their two bits to get into the tent, that they were about to mm -hmm. be tricked. And that was, the, that was the entertainment of it. It was funny. It was ironic. It wasn't designed to, to be disgusting. It was designed to be amusing and to be entertaining. And it just seems like this doesn't even rise to that level. It's not even a freak show. It's almost, um, it's a form of psychotherapy as if some psychologist had told them, look, you need to get this trash out of you and put it out there where all the world can see it so that you're freed from it. And what they find is that in the act of trying to be freed from it, they're bound by it. When I was driving to work, I don't know why this phrase came into my head. I was thinking about this topic and, and, and it just flew into my head. I said, I said, this is the work of unloved children hmm. screaming their rage in revenge against the world, right? Yeah. That's, that's, yeah. that's what this is. Now, the question is, two questions. First of all, that can explain it for the artist, but what explains its appeal to a certain kind of person? And that certain kind of person is an urban, highly educated, pretty much, when I say that they're not they're certainly not doing hard manual labor. They have they have a great deal of money and it's either coming from some high-level job or a trust fund or something. But they're bored and they're people who, have, you're right, they feel nothing. And since they don't feel anything and since and since feeling happiness or love or joy is beyond them because they were, they're, because they're, they're hollow shells of people, they go further and further and further into this darkness just, just to feel something. Now, the other question I think bears um, uh, looking at is, is the question of does the art influence the culture or does the culture influence the artist? And that's a false question because it's a feedback yeah. loop, yeah. right? One of the things that this this latest group of, of nihilistic uh, creatures is this constant belief that we're just essentially we're just sides of meat. That's that's their that's why they show a decaying horse's head in a glass case, right? We're just pieces of meat, and anything that you believe that that you're wrong, and, and they'll come out and say you're wrong. This 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 couple of British uh, kind of you know performance artists, you know, just to do a lot of scatological stuff because they they 
well, direct quote of one of these guys is, I was walking down the street and I saw some dog excrement on the sidewalk and I thought, you know, that's what life is. That's a, that's a, and to them, that's what it is. So there is, on some degree, the artist is reflecting the society that he's born into. And, and at the same time, he's creating art that influences the influencers downstream. Prior to this current uh, crop, the most nihilistic, depressing, inhuman, negative art that I was aware of was the was the German art that came out between the two world wars, the cabaret art. Yeah. And it wasn't so much painting, mostly it was music and, and uh, the work of a composer named Kurt Weil and his wife, Lada Lenya. Uh, they were singing songs about we're, we're lost in the stars, we're just a, we're just a speck of dust. Uh, you know, here's, the, here's these four guys at Germany, you know, Johnny is missing, Jimmy is killed, and George went crazy shooting. But blood is blood, and death is death, and the army is still recruiting. Something like that, right? Mm -hmm. um, and 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 that black lipstick, you know, and and that and that just that kind of hopelessness, that 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 hopelessness, that despair, and that that's here today. The people that support. Uh, Balenciaga is is a is a accidental peek behind this curtain of the depravity of some of the people that are very very powerful in our society. And if you don't believe that, then just take a look at at um, Jeffrey Epstein and and his client list and some of the people who are known to have gone to uh, you know his underage prostitution island. Right? Some of these people. We know for a fact that Bill Clinton was on a, a number of these things. We know that Prince Andrew was on, on a couple of these things. Not up for discussion. That's it's public knowledge. The depravity of it is is something that we need to be aware of. You know, we need to be aware of of who it is that's 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 telling us the things that they're telling us and what their value set is. And it's almost almost said that they don't have a value set, but they do. They believe that anything, anything that it, they have such contempt, they're so desperate to show them because ultimately it's not even about nihilism or, or any of that. Ultimately, it's about narcissism. Ultimately, that's it, right? I am so much better and different than the run-of-the-mill people that I can, I have the kind of sophisticated tastes that allow me to appreciate the art in this, in this horror. And I'm one of those people that argues in favor of Al-Qaeda because all you common sheeple out there, you American patriots with your flags and everything seem to think you're on the right side. But I can understand why Al-Qaeda is determined to destroy this horrible, wretched society of ours. And on and on and on and on and on and on and it goes, right? Look how special I am. Look how different I am. Look how sophisticated I am. And it's just plain desolation it's just it's it's a desolation of the soul and that'd be fine if it was just their business but as we find from this kind of thing and and the rest of the stuff they're trying to push on us they can't keep this to themselves this is this is the direction they're trying to take us and in the in, and in uh steve's segment we talked about dude perfect and and we as a segment about space flight and we talked about how these are these are good men, you know. They're all solidly Christian men, but they're moral men, and, and the same thing is true for Dustin over at um, at uh, Smarter Every Day. These people 
produce content that is uplifting and ennobling and encouraging because they have a moral core, because they weren't unloved children. They're not, they're not screaming their rage at the world. They're, they don't have to destroy the system because the system was good to them. And I mean the system, I don't even mean capitalism or anything like that. I mean, they grew up in loving families and they don't have to go to war with the world in order to show everybody how, in order to show their other unloved children just how how unique and cool they are. I saw a commercial uh, during a football game or something for a movie, and uh, it was the you know one of these the critics rave, and it's like the best film of the year or whatever. And, I, and there were several people, famous actors who've been around for a mm-hmm. long time that I recognize, and I thought, oh wow, somebody's made a good movie, um, and so. <laughs> I'm probably going to be forced to see it, so I will. I think I'd like to find out about it, and uh, and I have this uh, like reading tablet. So I thought, oh, I'll see if I can get a hold of the script because I like to read screenplays. So I downloaded the screenplay for this movie, and I start to to read the screenplay. And in the opening several minutes of it, it's set in in Hollywood uh, in the early days of Hollywood, about 100 years ago or so. And uh, and I'm reading through this, and I'm like, holy cow, is this like a porno film? I mean, is this, what, what is this, you know? And it was, I, I won't even describe what it describes in this thing. And I thought, this is, this is one of the best movies of the year. I wouldn't get through the opening credits. I, I'd, be, I'd be on my oh, way wow. out of the studio. And, um, and I just thought, there's, there's no telegraphing of that in the commercial. It looks like a fun, glamorous picture set in olden Bait days with cool old cars and really coolly dressed, handsome and lovely people and all this kind of stuff. And I, in the first couple of pages, I was like, no, this can't what, be the same film. This, is, this must what's be- What's this thing called? I'm afraid to even say it. Um, it's, oh, wow. I should have known by the title, but it's called Babylon. And so, oh well, that makes sense. Yeah, what gave it away? And, and I um, think Brad Pitt's in it, and some other famous people. But anyway, but when I read that, your your topic here made me think of that, and I thought, yeah, they can't do like for for about a year. I listened to a podcast um, called uh, "You Must Remember This." And it was about the early days of Hollywood. And it actually followed the history of Hollywood all the way up through the 60s or 70s or so. And the woman who created this podcast did deep research and it was really well done and well produced. And yes, there were, you know, seamy sides of the Hollywood, of course, you as you would expect. But the whole thing wasn't just wallowing in that nastiness. And uh, And I thought, well... If that if her podcast had been like that, I wouldn't have listened to two episodes of it. And yet this movie is pitching itself as almost like the the you know the summer fun hit of 2023 or whenever oh, this wow. thing's gonna come out. And I'm like, no, this is not this at all. <sighs> and this is why traditional heroes like Luke Skywalker and now uh Indiana Jones and and all of them have to be destroyed. Now, just so you understand that this is not an esoteric uh, conversation about something that doesn't affect all of us, right now in 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 our culture in America, there is an ongoing and increasing battle between who gets to tell our kids who get who owns our kids, who owns their mind space. You will see again and again and again teachers coming out and saying, you know, blue-haired teachers with nose rings and so on, saying that no, 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 the parents have nothing to, should have nothing to do with our class. You know, yeah. we 
we are going to free these children from the from the prejudices of their parents. And so this battle is going on. And and the one thing I notice in common with the people who are who are pushing the LGBT movement, LGBTQ movement on on children, I don't care what they do with their own lives. It's none of my business. And as long as they don't hurt anybody else, I just don't care. I, I, they they all oh, were trying to repress you. I don't care enough about you to repress you. I don't have the time, right? But when you talk about their attitude towards children, young children, what you find among among those advocates, those left wing advocates, is this belief that children are sexual creatures, and the and the reason that they can say things like we should start doing uh, puberty blockers or sex assi sex assignment things, is because they believe that sexuality is something that is is there at birth. The idea that uh, that a pre that a prepubescent kid could make a decision about sexual identity when they don't have any sexual hormones or any sexual feelings. I mean, I growing up as a kid, I hated girls until suddenly I did not. You know, I remember telling some guy I was at the hotel and some guest came up to me. He said, what do you think about girls? I said, I can't stand them. They're horrible. He said, you'll change your mind about that. I said, no, I don't think so. And then I did. But, but that's the point I'm trying to make, right? This, this idea that, that everything is just biological meat and 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 therefore you might as well run with it the the side of the argument that we're trying to maintain is if you can protect children from this worldview and love them then they'll grow up to be happy healthy people and they won't have 700 piercings in their faces as they try to tell your children you know that uh that maybe they're not a little boy at all at age four. Maybe they're a little girl. Why are they doing this? They're doing it because they want, it's not that they want to make gay or trans kids. They want to make healthy kids into victims and bitter and, and, and soulless and, and as, as empty as they are. And, the one thing you find about these teachers is they talk about their girlfriends or their boyfriends in class because they're looking for validation from third graders, right? Third graders. These You're going to tell me that what I'm doing is what I'm doing is okay, right? Oh, yes, Mrs. Yes, Mix, uh, you know, Taylor. And we think it's awesome. We love your purple hair. <sighs> the fight continues, oh, folks. You know, this is bigger than uh, a difference of opinion. When you start looking at some of the things that, that, that the people who are pushing this progressive agenda, when you look at the things that they find to be interesting and artful, if you could see these images, you'd be a lot clearer about what's actually going on out there.